And Lord, it's just encouraging to hear the word and see the word being shared from, from person to person and life to life here. God, we know your, your word is, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and works in, in our lives. Lord, we just we trust that as as things were shared here in the past few minutes, that they will be seeds that'll be planted in hearts that will uh, take root even this week. That will mean something. Lord, I, I trust even from things I have to share will will overlap with some that was was shared this morning. Lord, help us to be growing as disciples in the habit of reading and loving and thirsting for the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts of things I read this week from the Bible, and hopefully this will encourage you. This is not particularly complex, but share a couple of things, and we'll continue worshiping together here. This week I read Psalm 31, so I'm sure if you're in the one-year Bible, you also did. And I came across this word, these verses, verses 3 to 5, David speaking. He says, For you, God, are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. And then a verse later he says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. Now, you may recall, as we've talked about it in weeks past, we can, we can take a real simple methodology to reading the scripture. As we read a scripture, we read some scripture, we write that down, and we have, remember, our soap analogy, scripture, and we make an observation about that scripture. We trust God to show us an application from it, and then we pray, right? And so here's my observation. My observation is that this is what Jesus said while he was on the cross. There it is on the screen, Luke 23, 46. Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So there we are in Psalm 31. And David writes the words that will be Jesus' last words before he dies on the cross. I thought, wow, that's pretty significant. But I had a couple specific thoughts I wanted to share with you this morning from this. The first one is this, is that Jesus knew Scripture. No, well, he was God. Okay, so he was God, but he knew the Scripture. And not only did he know the Scripture, he took the Scripture and applied it to his life in the moments when he needed to. It was probably the most important of his moment of his life right there. And he spoke the Scripture even at that point of agony and death. And so what's my application? Well, we can come up with a real simple application from that. I too, if Jesus can do it, I too should learn and know the scripture and apply it to my life, even in moments of agony and, and great trial. Second thought I had from this was that David was responding to God. He didn't just sort of, without context, say... Yeah, God, here, here's my spirit. Into your hands I commit it. He didn't say, here, I'll give you my spirit and you give me something else. No, what did he say? He goes, you are my rock and my fortress. You have done something for me and so I, in response, give you everything. There's a response there and this is not random. 
But why commit my spirit? Why, why not something else? Well, why does he do it? Well, a couple reasons. The first one is that because God himself, right there, God offers himself to us as a fortress. You are my fortress. God offers himself. Well, what is a fortress? Well, I started thinking about a fortress, and I was reminded of this fortress. Hopefully you can kind of see this on the screen. I'm not sure how many people have been to Israel. I had the chance to go there about 15 years ago, and there you can kind of see on a mountain right in the middle of the picture, there's these, this castle. This is the fortress of Nimrod. Now, I know that's kind of a, a weird name in our culture. It had been something different there, but this is a fortress that uh, protects the roots between Israel and Damascus. This was not from Bible times. This was built in the 1200s during the Crusades by the Muslims to protect that trade route. But this fortress sits on top of the mountain and it is a stronghold. Having been there and walked through it, the the walls are thick and tall. The the cliffs are sheer. Nobody's going to take it over. And in fact, nobody did. It lasted until the 18th century when it was finally destroyed by an earthquake. So that gives you an idea. This is the idea. When I think of fortress, God is my fortress. He is this place I can run to that is going to be utterly safe and secure. And so David was saying, hey, God is a fortress. And so I'm going to commit my spirit to God because he's a fortress, but I'm also going to commit my spirit to God because God wants a relationship with me. See, he didn't say, God, you're a fortress and you're forcing me into it. He didn't say, God, you built a fortress around me so you can have my spirit. He said, there, you are a fortress, you have offered it to me, and I will commit my spirit to you. So my application is this, is that to be protected by the fortress of God's love, I must go in. I must submit my spirit. I've got to submit my will, my desires, my passions. If I'm going to take, have access to and protection from this fortress, I have to submit myself to him. And I do this in response to his love for me, his love that offers that fortress to me. So that's my thought from Psalm 31, 3 to 5. The next passage I looked at, read this week, as I'm sure a number of you did, read in, in Exodus. In Exodus 28, the entire passage, it would take a long time to read through it. The summary of Exodus 28 is God is laying out instructions for how to make priestly garments for Aaron to be the high priest, right? And he says, you shall do this, and you shall do that, and you shall do this. And it's, it's all, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've read it, it's very, very detailed. It's, you've got to have a certain number of stones of a certain type, and you've got to put them in a certain order and engrave them a certain way and stitch things a certain way, and then he's got to have a turban and, and all this other stuff. And it goes on, and it, it talks about oh, the sacrifice and the blood. You've got to do certain things certain ways, and it, it's all very specific. In fact, I think this passage is so specific, if we wanted to sort of get out the loom and the fabric, and if we had some jewels, I don't know where you'd get topaz and, and rubies, and I don't know where they got it, right? This morning I was in Parker, and Dennis Clark said, they have all these instructions, and they say 15-foot-high poles. Where do they get those in the desert? I was like, that's a good question. I wonder where they got that. Where do they get all these jewels? I don't know where they got it from. I don't know where I get one today, right? But they did it, and they made it. And if we wanted to, we could go to this specific passage, and we could recreate those garments if we wanted to. And I got to thinking about it and I said, why? God, why 
Did you give such specific instructions? What was the point of being so specific about this? I don't know if I have exactly the answer, but I got a couple ideas. And so I'm going to share a couple of those ideas with you here. My first idea is this. Is that the vast creator of the universe cares. See, God is is infinite. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all-present everywhere. And yet he cares about the smallest of details. Have you ever heard anybody say, or maybe you've said it, I know I've probably said it at some point in my life until I was convicted of this idea, somebody say, oh, God doesn't worry about that. He has bigger things to be concerned with. Have you ever said that or heard somebody say that? I've become convinced that is utterly false. (laughs) And this is why this verse from Luke 12, Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, I think about the complexity and the order and all the amazing things and all the things going on in my body, and I think probably the least important fact about my body is the number of hairs on my head, right? And that number is changing. I have six children. They're falling out and turning gray. (laughs) But God cares. See, God is infinite, and he has infinite capacity. And we think about God like us, and we say, I don't have the bandwidth for that. doesn't matter. God has the bandwidth. God cares about the details. He cares about the details of your life. Don't forget that. The second idea I get from this passage is this. God asked them all to do this because he wanted to know if they would be obedient or not. Do you like my clip art on the screen? <laughs> I love it. And as I was talking to my wife, the idea that, that really came to my mind is sometimes as parents, we ask of our kids that they do things, not really for the sake of the doing the thing, but for the sake of knowing, do I have their heart? Will they be obedient? And actually, the clothes analogy works pretty well because we have you know, a number of kids, and our, our older kids, of course, are, are able to dress themselves and, generally speaking, pick out clothes that match and are clean and, and so forth, and, and they'll do that. But the younger ones really look up to the older ones. The younger ones see the older ones doing this and say, I, too, can pick out my own clothes. And many mornings we'll be sitting there reading our Bibles or getting breakfast ready, and uh, these younger ones will come down and we'll be like, what are you wearing? Right? And you know, it, at some point you go, well, you're wearing stripes and plaid, or you got like wind pants on and a tank top, and it's snowing outside. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, we're homeschoolers. We don't really go a lot of places. So it probably doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter. Like, they're clothes. Okay, that's probably fine. But we still tell them, go back upstairs and change, and put this on and this on and this on instead. And we're not doing that, you know, because we're going to try to be presentable or there's some reason, but we're doing it because we want to see our kids obedient. Do we have their hearts? Will they listen to what we say and, and do what we ask of them to do? 
And so I think there's something here in this passage where I go, hmm, what if the, the seamstress there who was, who was making the fabric and sewing the garment for Aaron the high priest had accidentally mixed up the order of those stones or had kind of missed a stitch or maybe got one less pomegranate around the cuff or, or whatever the thing was. Like, would Aaron have walked into the presence of the Lord and the Lord been like, can't talk to you, man, you missed a stitch. I don't know, but I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think what's going on is saying, well, you could probably show up and and worship me in in whatever garb, but are you going to pay attention to the detail? Are you going to be obedient to what I said? Do I have your heart? So I think maybe that's something that was going on here as well. The third idea I have about this is that God was creating specific instructions for worship. And I would in turn say he still has specific instructions for our worship. Now, look, we don't have to deal with the oh, and the garment and the 15-foot high poles and the stones and the turban and all. We don't have to deal with that, right? Because by God's grace, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is now our high priest. And you know what? We'll let Jesus take care of whatever garment he's got to wear before God when he stands before him. Amen? But he still has instructions for how we should worship. And he's given us those in the New Testament. And they're, they apply to a, a number of different things of how we get together and the things that we say and the things that we do and the, the way we conduct ourselves. But I thought I'd spoke, focus on one today and then let us practice it together. And that's the Lord's Supper. And so here's some of the instructions. This is from Jesus himself, from Luke chapter 22. You can find a similar passage in the other Gospels. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body. She's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So there are some specific instructions, unless we think that's all we have in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's from 1 Corinthians 11. So we got some instructions here. What do we see from these instructions? Well, I think there's four things. You can probably come up with more, but I'm going to focus on four things here, and then we're going to practice this together. 
The first one, according to Christ's command and Paul's reinforcement, is that we as believers should take a specific meal for the purpose of remembering Jesus' sacrifice. Now, meal, how do we define meal? We don't get a a whole lot of description of what that is, but a meal, a coming together, a taking of these elements, and we do it, why? To remember. Jesus is very clear. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Second thing I see from this is that it should have two elements. One is a bread and one is a cup. Now, If this had been Old Testament times, I don't know, maybe God would have said it must be whole wheat flour mixed with exactly three-quarters cup of hot water, and you've got to put some flaxseed in there. Oh, but we need to have a gluten-free option over here. But he didn't say that, right? He said bread. So, what is bread? I don't know. Bread could be probably all kinds of things. We're not going to put Caesar salad back there on the table, right? We know that's not bread. We know what bread is. So here we do a gluten-free cracker so that everybody can participate. And then a cup, the same thing. What is a cup? Is it wine? Is it juice? Is it something else? No, it's a cup. It's something we drink. It should have these two elements. Third thing I think it should have is it should be done together as a body of believers. The instructions are very clear. We come together. We do this together. Jesus was together with the disciples. It is together. Could you take the Lord's Supper or communion or these elements? Could you take them by yourself? Sure. You totally could. You could take them by yourself, but is that doing this thing? No, it's not. It says do it together. And so we do it as a body of believers. Now, there may be some of you here today who don't count yourself a believer, and we're glad that you're here and you're welcome here as part of that. But this is in remembrance. We remember that Jesus Christ came to earth as God's only son. He lived as a man, a perfect, sinless life. At the end of his life, he was executed. He died on a cross in a horrific death. He muttered at the end, Commit my hands, I commit my spirit into your hands, Lord. Then he rose again and he defeated death. And because of that, he paid the penalty for our sins that any of us who would receive that free gift of salvation get to spend eternity with him in heaven. And we make him our Lord and our Savior and we walk with him through life. But we have to receive that free gift. That's what makes us a believer. If you're a believer, then you should partake of this as worship. And if you're not a believer, then you should pass. But we're not going to stand at the back and check to see if you've got a membership card because they don't offer membership cards of being a believer. It's between you and God. But this is in remembrance. And that's the last thing. It should be done in a worthy manner. What does worthy mean? Again, I think this is a remembrance. If you haven't received a gift of Jesus, then you're remembering a gift for somebody else that you haven't received. But if you've received it, then it's for you to remember it. And that's one way to be worthy, is to have received this free gift. Another way to be worthy, is if, if you've received the free gift, is, is to do it with a heart submitted to God in worship. And so if there's something that you feel is standing between you and God, that you have a wrong attitude or specific sin you need to confess, then we always like to take a moment, a few minutes here and and let you have that time quietly by yourself so that you can approach the table and and be worthy. And so like I said, we're going to practice this right now here. We've got a table, I think one table set up in the back there, and there's a cup and there's the the crackers. And so we're going to take a minute 
And you can just sit quietly in your seat. We're going to have some, we have two tables, uh, one on either side. Um, You can just take a minute and pray quietly and get your heart right and worthy before the Lord. And then in worship of Him, when you're ready, you can stand up and just work your way to the back. Take a cracker and you you dip it in the juice and then you can come back to your seat and, and take it. We won't all take it at the same time. And then I'll come up in a few minutes after that and close us in prayer.